another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times. And the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated is is most often the case anyway from my personal mobile studio, my 2006 Jetta Diesel TDI, as I make my way on a 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, in my little 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI. And uh, we spend another day or another morning drive together discussing what's going on in our world and what we can do about it. Today is uh, Thursday, February 5th. This is episode 136. Uh-huh, I told you I'd get back in that habit. So there you go for you guys to keep track uh, by what I say rather than what the episode number on the download or at the website says. There's your number, 136, which is pretty impressive. We are rapidly headed to 150. Uh, and that is going to be kind of a cool milestone. Uh, speaking of milestones, yesterday was the first time I went to the website, pulled it up, and the little feed burner stat thing that shows how many people are downloading uh, the show through its web feed. So these are, if you uh, use iTunes, another podcatcher, a feed reader, live bookmarks, if you're on my automatic notification list, that's you. And it's at 3,005. So we have now topped 3,000 regular feed-based listeners on the show. Those are people that have their internet dial tuned to us automatically. And uh, we actually are getting close to 4,000 downloads of each show a day now. So we're reaching almost 4,000 people. So about a quarter of the people do not uh, do not use that method. So that is really cool. And uh, it means when we hit our goal of 10,000 listeners, which is our goal this year to hit 10,000 listeners, uh, we're going to be looking at about 12.5 in actuality. And that's going to be a big deal. And it's because people are waking up to what's going on around out there. And they want to know, well, what the hell do I do about it? Well, today I'm going to try to talk to you a little bit about both of those things, kind of what the hell is going on and what you do about it. I'm going to try to talk about some uh, varied options for food storage and food preservation in your home. I'm going to say I'm going to try to do that because something has come up that I have to discuss first, and hopefully I won't go off on a tangent about it, and I'll be able to come back to this other subject. Um, and before I go to anything, what I want to remind you of, we do have a phone number now. Since I stopped announcing it, people stop calling it. And if you've called in, you've left me a message, we're going to get you on the air probably next week. It's just been too busy this week to go splice audio in. But if you call in with this question uh, or a comment that I can comment back on, we're going to try to get you on the air here. Um, it's a recorded service, but 866-65-THINK. 866-65-THINK. If uh, you want the numbers, I don't even know the numbers. That's I got something I would remember easy, like 65 Think. Go to the website if you don't, you know, have a BlackBerry or something, and it's spelled out under call in your uh, call in your questions what the actual number is. Call in, got two minutes basically to leave me a message or a comment, and if it works for a show, we'll put you in. All right, so what has happened 
puts in, I have got to go off of food today and talk about the government, which, you know, sometimes I get really fired up when we talk about the government. Well, I, I've been saying this since last week when I talked about this, and we're just going to start calling it a trillion-dollar stimulus plan, right? Because $800 billion is crap, and by the time they start reappropriating things to support it once they get this thing ram-ratted down our butts, um, it, it's going to be a trillion dollars. So this trillion-dollar stimulus. What I said was they are trying right now like crazy to keep us from being mad about that and, and keep us misdirected about all the crap. And if you listen to that show, if you haven't heard it yet, I did a show on some of the things in this program and some of the crap that they're spending money on, and it's recurrent spending, meaning it doesn't go away, folks. All right. Now, a stimulus package should be we put the money into the economy in one form or another, and you can debate whether it's best done through government or private or what have you, but stimulate means you put it there, it's used to build infrastructure and jobs, and then once that process starts, you stop funding it, it is a stimulus, not life support, right? Well, a lot of these programs are things that we're going to be paying for for you know forever unless we take the program away. And you know the government doesn't take programs away. So with all that put together, I said they are taking this crap. Now we're hearing about the Wall Street executives again. Oh, and they're they're paying them, so they're taking billions and billions of dollars of your money, Mister Taxpayer. You Joe Sixpack who didn't pay any freaking tax last year because you only made eighteen thousand dollars. You didn't qualify to pay tax. In fact, you got more back than you put in. They're taking your tax dollars, Joe, and they're using it for their billion-dollar, you know, junkets and executive pay, and they're pissing you off. And then, yesterday, they passed a law. Ooh, a law. And this law says that if you are a C-level officer at one of these companies, specifically the CEO, and you take money from the TARP funds, the bailout funds that we passed, this is the bailout from back in November, folks, okay? If you take that money, your compensation, your total pay is limited to $500,000 a year. Now, a lot of people out there going, boy, that's plenty. Well, a lot of these guys are making $10 million a year to run a company like this. It ain't as easy as you think. Now, I'm not coming to this guy's defense, all right? All I'm telling you is they're small potatoes compared to the trillion-dollar stimulus that they're going to shove up our asses after they all agree about how to spend it. They're not fighting about whether or not to spend the money right now. The Republicans are not waging war in the Senate to stop the spending. It's to control who spends what where. They're trying to get their own little programs in, and once everybody agrees to it, they're going to put it through. Okay? They're going to have a lot of Republicans still vote against it, but they're going to let a couple cross the line. One is already slated. She's from Maine. She's slated to cross the line. There's a couple Democrats playing devil's advocate right now, helping this thing go through so everybody gets what they want out of the little pet projects. Dems get more than the Republicans. That's because they have the majority. But the Republicans are going to get something, and they're going to get to save face. All right? So that they can sell this piece of crap to us. This is the exact same thing they did with the first bailout. I called it. I told you what would happen, and it happened verbatim. Now they're doing it with this. And now they're missed. And think about it. Back when we did the tar funds, no golden parachutes. Go listen to my show. I told you. No golden parachutes. Oh, we got to make sure that these guys don't make Right? So we already did this. We already set limits. And I'm getting to why this is so important here in just a second. And it's going to change the way you think about passing laws when I do. 
And that's the reason I'm going through all this crap, because you guys should be able to figure this much out on your own. Again, Wall Street fat cats, misdirection. Okay, Obama just appointed people that cheated on her taxes. That got smacked down. He's been, he's been roughed up over that. Get your attention off of that. But we'll let you even look at Tom Daschle's taxes as long as we get this freaking stimulus bill passed. All right, and most Americans are for a stimulus, just not the stimulus. And they really don't have any idea what that means. And we got Nancy Pelosi saying that 500 million people a month are going to lose jobs in the United States that we don't pass this thing. 500 million a month. There's only 300 million of us. She said it twice. Were they gaps? Were they mistakes? Yes, but it tells you what's going on. They're inciting fear and panic to get these social programs in place that... You know, they haven't been able to get done before. They're trying to use an emergency to get something done. They wouldn't be. They don't want a good crisis to go to waste, in the words of Rahm Emanuel, Obama's chief of staff. All right, that's one of the people leading this country now feels that way. His own words, not mine. Now, how does this relate to how you pass the law? Okay, yesterday we passed a law that said $500,000, that's it, no more than that for this executive compensation. All right? Fine. Now, here's the thing about building a law. Building a law is building a predator. It's building a killer. Laws kill liberty. That's what they do. And initially I was going to describe the law as a tiger, but I realized that a tiger, minus claws and fangs, could probably still kill you because they weigh 500 pounds. So what we're going to build when we build our laws, we're going to build a mountain lion, a cougar, a 100 and 100, 100 to 120-pound cat that inhabits the central United States. These cats are killers. They do kill people. They've killed and they've eaten people. That's what laws do to liberty. They kill and eat liberty. Now, there's a point where we want to create a predator to kill and eat a liberty, and that is when somebody uses their liberty irresponsibly, and that liberty abuse infringes upon somebody else's liberty. So if you want to go into your own home and punch yourself in the face until you pass out, fine. We don't have a law that says you're not allowed to punch yourself in the face until you pass out. Now, we do have a law that says you can't walk next door to your neighbor's house, knock on his door, and when he comes to the door, punch him in the face. And the reason we have that law is because people have punched other people in the face for no good reason. It wasn't self-defense. They weren't trying to protect somebody else. They were just angry. And we said, now, wait a minute. You have freedom. You have the freedom to defend yourself, to pursue happiness, etc. But you do not have your freedom to go out and punch somebody else in the face. So we created a law. We collectively agreed as a society. This was what was best for society. And then we said, if you punch your neighbor in the face, there's a penalty. The police will come to your house. They will arrest you. You will go to jail. And then you'll either pay a fine or you'll spend a couple nights in jail or whatever the law in your area is. That will be your penalty for punching your neighbor in the face. Additionally, your neighbor might sue you for punching him in the face. And you might have to pay him some form of restitution. Right, now, this makes perfect sense to anybody with a brain that this is how law works. But our government, who makes the law, does not understand this. Or they understand it and they're using it to bullshit us. I'll let you decide which one it is when I explain what just happened. Okay, so we passed this law. Executives in these companies that receive TARP funds will not receive more than $500,000 in contributions. That is the mountain lion. There's the cat. The cat is the law. It is the predator. All right? And its purpose is to prevent 
the use of liberty and to enforce that prevention and to capture those that try to subvert it. So he set this cat, this isn't like a rabid killer cat here, this is a cat that looks for people doing a specific thing and it jumps on them, it grabs them, and it holds them down. And it tries to correct what they're doing and if it doesn't correct, the teeth come in, bam, bite in the back of the neck. We kill off the attempt to subvert the law. Perfect sense. Kind of gruesome when you think about it, though. That's what we're doing to a person's liberty. So we better make damn sure we're doing it the right way. So when you pass a law, when you create the cat, there's two more things you have to create. You have to create the clause. The clause are who enforces the law. All right? So part of the legislation must be, you may not do this, and the overseeing authority who determines whether you're doing it or not, has the right to come apprehend you for it, is XYZ, the federal government, the FBI, local law enforcement. All right, you think about different laws that have been passed. There is a law that says that as an employer, I will pay Social Security matching on all my employees, and I will withhold it from them, and I will report it, and I will pay all that money into the Social Security fund. But that law is enforced by the federal government and its agencies. It is not enforced by local law enforcement. No local police officer will ever go to any business because that law has been violated because they're not the clause. They're not the enforcing body. They're not the claw in the cat. Federal government is. Federal government passed a much more benign law. Everybody in the United States in an automobile is going to wear a seatbelt. But they deferred enforcement to the states, who then deferred enforcement to local law enforcement. So your city cop is the one that pulls you over and writes you a ticket and says, put your seatbelt on. Very, very simple. Both of those laws have clause, and those clause are two totally different authorities, and one authority does not infringe on the other. The IRS doesn't pull you over for not wearing your seatbelt, right? And the local police officer doesn't come pick you up for violating something on a tax form. Two different sets of clause. All right. The next thing that has to go into a law is the teeth. The teeth are the penalty when you are caught and an enforcement behind the penalty. So the teeth in the seatbelt law are the 75 or 150 or whatever dollar fine. And that fine is issued to you by the claw and then enforced by the local court, the authority, which is also defined in the law. That's how the law works. This is who has the authority. This is the law. This is who has the authority to enforce it. This is the penalty for not complying. And this is how that penalty will be enforced. Now you have a complete predator. You have the cat. You have the claws. You have the teeth. When you remove the component of the teeth or the claw or both, the law is meaningless. Now, what the hell is that supposed to mean? It means that yesterday they passed a law that said these clowns don't get more than 500K. But they did not say who was to enforce it, no clause, or what any penalty would be for violation of it, no teeth. Which is exactly what they did back in November when they put limits on executive compensation in November. They put no enforcement behind it, and they put no penalty behind it. So they're doing the same thing again. That's why they would even have to talk about this. Think about it. We shouldn't be discussing this.
this. We already did this. But we created a paper predator. We created a paper mountain lion with no claws and no teeth. Which means as soon as all this rolls it through, as soon as they don't need to distract us anymore, as soon as they don't need a villain in the Disney movie they're writing for us right now, these bumbling, stumbling, Disney villain evil rubbing their hands together want to rule the world, corporate executives on Wall Street, as soon as they're not necessary anymore, they'll pay themselves whatever they want, and there's no one there with any authority to do anything about it. That's why the law means nothing. And that's why it exists for no reason other than to misdirect you. To take your eye off of what's really important. And I've had enough. And I've been wondering what we can do about this. And something just symbolic to say, hey, clouds, there's more of us than you think there are. So yesterday, and it's all kind of coming together at one time. Yesterday I finished my show right at 9 o'clock. And I was late getting into the office. I'm usually into the office by around 8.30. So my throat was pretty hoarse. I'm still nursing this throat damage from last week with being sick and allergies and sick at the same time. So I thought, well, I'll go to Starbucks and pick up a coffee. I haven't done that in a long time, so I can spoil myself with two bucks. So I turned Glenn back on while I'm going there, and he's talking about this thing called We Surround Them. And he has nine things, and I'll link to this in the forum. John Q. Public posted about this yesterday, so now I don't have to worry about it. So thanks, John. And uh, what it is is nine things that he says, I think most Americans believe these things. And I can't tell you all nine of them off the top of my head, but what Glenn wants you to do is if you believe at least seven of them, take a picture of yourself and mail it to we surround them at gmail.com. And I don't know the exact particulars of what he's doing with this project, but basically he's going to create a giant image house showing how many people there are that have this message to our government. And I, again, I don't know them all, but here are some of them. I believe that the government is accountable to us, not the other way around. Yes or no? Okay? That type of thing. I believe that there is a God. And I don't believe that I need to enforce my view of God on anybody else or oppress anybody else to believe that. But I believe that most people believe that there is some form of a God. And that should not be looked down upon by our government. Yes or no? And there's, there's uh, seven more. And you can go read the thread and look at it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to read that thread. And I know I'm promoting you know, a national syndicated guy's show right now versus my own, but I don't care. This is a great idea. And then I want you to act on his call. I think it's a great call. And, and you know, kind of my salute to Glenn now for doing something that cool. So, uh, hopefully you can do that. Now, here's the other thing Glenn wants. If, like, you and your wife agree with this, don't send one picture of you and your wife together. Send a picture of you, send a picture of your wife. If you have a woman in your life, like I do, that's all I have my picture, my picture tells me 50 million pictures there. No one's going to focus on hers. It's about numbers, it's about quantity, it's about making a point. And, again, the address to send that picture, we surround them at gmail.com. Go, go uh, to the show notes today, take a look at that thread, and see those nine points. 
and maybe participate in this, because I think this is a good first step in letting these idiots know, hey, there's a lot more of us out here than you think there are. So does that leave me time today? I think it does, uh, to talk a little bit about food storage. And I know I'm making a big swing here, and uh, this won't be a very intensive show about you know storing food and where to get your food and things like that, but maybe I'll give you 20 minutes on it, and I'm going to tell you another thing that just popped up as to why I felt I had to talk about this today. We just had a huge ice storm, and if you want to read an account of a real-world survival situation that just happened, go to the forum and look at Kentucky Farmer's response to the thread called ice storm survivors and see what he's been dealing with since this storm happened and I'll link to that from the show notes as well so we just had this huge ice storm and the people that were hit the hardest were in northern Arkansas and in Kentucky those two areas just got murdered with this ice and it's kind of a common area to get murdered with ice Missouri got it pretty hard too but Arkansas and Kentucky were the point where FEMA had to step in and render aid so FEMA came to save the day One of the things FEMA brought was storm kits, right? And these storm kits had food in them for the people that are grasshoppers. They didn't store any food of their own. Now they're at a shelter with no food. They don't even have a little cup of soup. They probably had food at home they didn't bother to bring with them. So FEMA, here to save the day, here's your food. Inside this food is peanut butter. Now FEMA's going, um, yeah, uh, that peanut butter, um... Yeah, it it might have been um, contaminated with this stuff called uh, salmonella, so uh, maybe you should eat it. Nice. Really freaking nice. Now here's the thing. This peanut butter was in something else where it was a part of like a full meal. And then just the peanut butter is now in these storm kits without the rest of that. They already knew this. They already knew that the peanut butter might have been contaminated from a previous event. Nobody figured it out until now after they've already handed out the storm kits to hungry people, many of them with little children, and one of the things you could get a kid to eat is peanut butter, maybe on a cracker or a piece of bread, right? So it might be one of the very first things that a hungry family would use from the kit, and it might be contaminated with salmonella because some moron in our federal government system was not capable of going, hey, hey, where else do we use this until after the fact? This is why you have to store your own food. This is why you have to take control. Now, could you end up with some contaminated peanut butter in your storm kit? Of course you could. Buy anything from anywhere, there's always some sort of a risk. The the difference is, if everybody stores their own food, we're not spreading a disease among hundreds or thousands of people that were just displaced. That's what we're at risk of here is taking this and setting this into a population that's already in trouble. All right, so now we have people in shelters that could all of a sudden start breaking out with salmonella. That hasn't happened yet. Hopefully it won't, but you get my point. The other thing is, I'm sure if the news came on and said, uh, we've determined that XYZ brand peanut butter may be contaminated with salmonella, you would get off of your ass and you would go to your pantry and you'd look for XYZ brand peanut butter. And any of it that you found, you would throw the hell away, especially if it hadn't been opened and eaten yet. If you'd opened and eaten it, you'd probably went, well, maybe there's nothing wrong with mine because I ate this already and I'm okay. 
You'd probably still throw it away. But the point is you have a real motivation to do something about it when you hear that a product in your home might be contaminated from some type of an industrial problem. This happens. Right? We know this happens. It happened last year with vegetables. We had onions, jalapenos, and tomatoes last year. All of them had times when we had problems and concerns. They were uh, infected with hepatitis. So what we've now seen... In a, not a hypothetical, because people get, you know, when survivalists talk about hypothetical, normal quote-unquote people are like, oh my God, you guys just, you're all into this, you know, well, what if this, and what if that, and, you know, there's a saying about if your aunt, if she had something, she'd be your uncle, and I won't say that today, I don't, not really that mad, so I don't need to be vulgar, but you probably know the saying, and if, 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 and if and nuts were candy and butts, then, you know, that type of thing, right? Okay, fine, yeah, but this really happened. So we've now learned that at a time where people may be most dependent upon the government, the very thing that the government brings to save the people might be a bigger problem than the disaster itself. This happened... This happened during Hurricane Katrina. We started giving people FEMA trailers that were just totally reeking of formaldehyde. It's not the first time our government has rushed to the aid of people like Underdog and nearly killed them. So you have got to take responsibility for your own life so that you know that you've controlled what you're putting into your mouth and the mouth of your family. Now, I'm not saying that you won't ever get to a point where you have to rely on somebody else and that that aid might not be welcome because it probably would be. But you want to use it as little as possible. You want to have maximum control, so you have to keep food in your home. So, just giving a basic overview for maybe people that have started listening to the show, have never listened to any show on uh, on storing food before, or you're just trying to figure out how to store more, more food, or you know, do I just buy MREs? Here's kind of the philosophy that we live by in a modern survival community today. Philosophy number one: eat what you store and store what you eat. If you want to go out and buy some Mountain House product or some MREs or whatever as a supplement, that is fine. But it should not make up the bulk of your storage. Your main storage should be made up of foods that you consume on a regular basis. A good staple to these foods are rice, beans, and pastas. Those are three great staples. They provide great carbohydrate nutrition. nutrition. Uh, They actually, with some variety, provide quite a bit of nutrition nutrition, and they provide a good balanced supply of protein when eaten combined together with other foods. So they are a great base. They are very, very inexpensive compared to things like meat. Now, we are carnivores in the Spirico household. Most of the people here that listen to my show are not tree huggers that are worried about saving every single animal and won't eat a fish. Right? That doesn't mean that in a crisis situation, meat might be scarce. So having a way to combine foods to create full proteins is important. And having your system and your body already used to consuming them, even if they were at this point being augmented with meat, is important as well. So you want to end up in a situation your body adjusts easier. So by using beans, uh, rice, pasta, and hopefully grains as well, such as wheat, barley, kiona, 
amaranth and some other grains and making them part of your storage as part of your cooking and learning, you know, buckwheat's another great one, learning how to cook with these things. Learn how to make vegetable barley and beef soup and understand that you can make just vegetable barley soup in the future, right? My grandmother used to make, you know, vegetable barley beef soup all the time with very small amounts of beef. I didn't get why. It was a money thing. That's throw a couple more pounds in there, Grandma, right? But it was good. So that's your staple. And if you start building around that, you'll realize that when you know people say, well, you should have at least 60 days of food stored. And you go, well, how the hell do you do that when you start looking at building that base off of the beans, the rice, the pastas? It gets a lot easier. You start to realize, man, a few boxes of pasta is a lot of cooked pasta. A few sacks of beans is a lot of cooked beans. And a few jars of rice is a lot of cooked rice. From there, you have to start adding variety. If you have a giant five-gallon bucket full of pinto beans, yeah, you can survive. But you're probably better off with very, you know, split peas, navy beans, black beans, pinto beans, maybe some black-eyed peas. Kind of varying up the different types of beans that you're storing. Same thing with your pasta. Sure, you can go out and get a vat of spaghetti, but by having different types of noodles and different, you know, some maybe are whole wheat, some are more of your conventional white noodles, some are your like your green noodles, and by doing that and then different textures and shapes and types and maybe some ganache, which is actually made from potato flour, you start to create variants there. Then you go over to your rice, and you have some white rice, you have brown rice. Uh, as far as white, I love jasmine rice. It's got a great smell to it. Um, add in some wild rice. Uh, thai red is a wonderful type of rice. And start finding different varieties of rice. Now you're starting to create variety before you even branch out. So that forms your core. Then you start looking at, okay, what kind of canned, long-storage meat protein substances can I bring into my home that I may not eat every day or at every meal, but I don't mind occasionally making a lunch with one, and now I have, if my freezer goes out, some long-term true protein sources. Some of the things to look at there, canned chicken and canned fish. You can get canned beef, not the greatest thing in the world, and you can get canned ham that doesn't necessarily need refrigeration. Some canned hams do. Again, not the greatest well, the chicken and the fish products generally are pretty decent for cooking with. All right. From there, turning, you start looking at, well, if you have flour, you can make bread. And you can make a lot of other things. And if you have bisquick, you can make pancakes and a lot of other things. So you start looking at, well, how do I add some bisquick and some flour? to my storage. And flour has a storage life that's pretty good, but it is limited. It has to be kept in a good condition. So then maybe you look at adding stored into your stored grains a good supply of hard wheat berries and get a way to be able to ground that and make your own flour and teach yourself to do that once in a while. And occasionally do your own bread truly from scratch or some other flour-based product truly from scratch. On top of this, you're building a garden. You should. Everybody should have a garden. I don't care if it's a container garden on your porch in an apartment, or it's a garden in your backyard of your house, or it's a micro farm on a nice piece of little acreage, or it's a giant. I don't care what it is. You should be growing some of your own food. You start start looking at ways to store those. Can you grow certain types of beans and add to your dried beans things that you're growing yourself? When you're storing dried beans from things you grow yourself, you're also storing saved seed. Now you have the ability to produce food in the future from past harvests. 
Then you start looking at learning ways to store the surplus that you grow. In the summertime, you can grow more than you can eat. In the wintertime, you can't grow enough to feed yourself. Unless you're really blessed and you live in a part of the world where you can grow food year-round. And there are some people down in the tropics on the forum. If that's you, you know, be happy that you can do that. Most of us cannot, even here in Texas with mild winters. My production right now is very, very, very low. And in a couple months, I'll start having a huge production again. So you have to start finding ways to store your food. Things that you need to teach yourself how to do. Pickling, canning, and then don't give up using freezing. Freezing is a good way, so you need to teach yourself how to blanch vegetables for freezing. Some vegetables you can freeze without blanching, but many vegetables need what's called blanching, which is either a brief steaming or a brief boiling, a partial cook prior to freezing, and that way they don't go bad in the freezer on you. For instance, if you freeze green beans without blanching them, when you go to cook them, they'll never get soft. They have a very strange taste to them, and it's because there's an enzyme action that continues and breaks down the cells in the freezer even when it's frozen. When you blanch it, you destroy that enzyme activity and you preserve the vegetables. And frozen blanched vegetables generally are closer to fresh than canned. But you really need to learn to do both. So you teach yourself to preserve your surplus in both ways. You start doing business in your local economy and you're buying fruits and vegetables, etc., that are locally produced. Sometimes you'll find big surpluses very affordable at the end of the harvest season. So now, maybe it's not something you've grown, but you go out and you buy a large surplus from the farmer's market and you take a preservation activity like blanch freezing or canning or pickling and you use it to preserve what you've procured from your local economy. Now you've formed a relationship with somebody local, or hopefully multiple somebody's local, who has the ability to produce food. You're now their customer. You're more likely to be able to get more food from them when there's a shortage than somebody that's just trying to find food, period. On top of this, you start adding things like maybe hunting and fishing and procuring your own meat and your own fish. And to that, you add things like smoking, making jerky, and making biltong. Probably should do another show on biltong. That was a big hit. Uh, Biltong is sort of like jerky, but nothing like jerky. I'll leave it at that for today. Uh, But I'll post a link to the biltong show where I talked about this. So you you add smoking, uh, salting and drying, uh, biltong, which is kind of like a dry pickling for meat, uh, jerky making, all these things to ways to preserve your meat and your fish. Maybe on top of that you add some small-scale livestock. Few few laying hens that produce eggs. Another source of protein, good source of composting for your garden. They'll eat damn near anything and turn it into wonderful chicken manure, which breaks down into one of the greatest things in the world to fertilize your garden with. You do not need a rooster, so you don't have to have little chickens running around to have your hens producing eggs. So three or four chickens will usually produce more eggs than a family of four really wants. So that's kind of a limit unless you are going to be giving eggs away. Or maybe you use some ducks. Some ducks and duck eggs are actually an amazing product uh, that we just haven't really appreciated in America for a long time. Uh, maybe you look at raising rabbits for a source of meat and manure. It's up to you. But if you take that approach and you take it in that order, 
You notice what we started with was the easiest thing. All it takes is money and some space and some place to store it and some good storage containers like five-gallon buckets with a good sealed lid to go out and buy some pasta, beans, and rice and some canned meats and some other foods and start looking on the, you know, if it's on a shelf and it's not refrigerated, it probably stores pretty well. Saltine crackers store for damn near ever. I've heard people talk about, well, maybe you should learn to make hardtack. And I'm like, that's cool, and I guess you could do it, but saltine crackers last forever. And they taste a hell of a lot better than hardtack, and you can do just about anything with them as far as cooking and crumbling them up than you can do with hardtack, and it's easier to do, too. So saltine crackers. It's not as dense. It's not as, uh, you know, you don't can't store as much in as small an area because it's not as packed, but there's an option for you. So you start with that. And from there, you move to the things that you can most easily do. Start growing your own food. From there, you start learning how to preserve what you're producing. From there, you start increasing your ability to procure more. You start forming relationships with your local food suppliers that we've lost. You move into then harvesting, foraging from the field. And then possibly, once you have that system in place, then you have a pretty good system in place for supporting livestock, so you bring livestock in at that point. And it might sound like a lot, but it's something that anybody can do that really wants to. And let me ask you, if food prices triple, are you better off? And absolutely. And will food prices triple? The answer to that question is not if, it's when. Look at food prices for the last 20 years, 30 years. Food keeps going up, 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 like everything else. We've just inflated the economy with a massive amount of money, so we know food prices are going to keep going up. And on top of all this, you know, history teaches us what to expect in the future, so food will go up. Now, if the worst-case scenario type thing hits, you get caught in an ice storm like Kentucky Farmer did, or a lot worse, long-term disaster, we have a flu pandemic, right? Any of the doomsday scenarios come to be major terrorist attack, complete destruction of the economy, you name it, are you better off? That's what we're really all about here, how to be better off. If times get tough, or even if they don't, if it's just normal inflation, you live a healthier, better, more secure life, and you spend less money, and you save more money because you have more to save. You're able to buy the things that are more important to you. You're able to eliminate debt. You have less stress. You live a longer, healthier, happier, wealthier life. If everything goes wrong, you survive when others die. And I can't make it any more point blank as to why you need to take these things seriously than that. So I think that's a good place to wrap things up today. As I do wrap up, I want to remind you one more time, uh, David Crawford and I have teamed up. I'm doing an audio version of Lights Out. You can preview it at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Please join in on our forum. Contribute, talk, discuss. If you're not comfortable talking and discussing, show up and read because there's a ton of information there. You would not believe what those thousand guys have put together in a database of knowledge. It is absolutely freaking phenomenal. Again, congratulations to the audience for pushing the number over 3,000. That's not me, it's you, and I thank you for it. Tomorrow I'm giving away more tactical slings. Tune in for a chance to win some SOE tactical slings again tomorrow. Again, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.